Hey, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the Weird Tales Podcast. My name is Tycho Alhambra. Thank you for listening. If this is your first episode, welcome. We're happy to have you, and please know that you're welcome here regardless of your race, sexual orientation, or gender identity. The Weird Tales Podcast stands in solidarity with you all. Transcripts of the show are available. The link is in the show notes. Hey, you. Yes, you. Have you ever wanted to be on the show, helped read a story, be a part of the cultural juggernaut that is the Weird Tales podcast? Now you can. From now until the end of February, I'm holding auditions for a full cast reading of A Christmas Carol. Set to debut at Christmas Ghost Stories Season 4, which is actually Season 5 because I'm a dummy, uh, details are on my Twitter feed, at Weird Tales Pod, or you can click the link in the show notes to go straight to the casting call. If you enjoy the show and want to help support it, please consider joining my Patreon. It's specifically meant to do stuff like pay the readers who appear in A Christmas Carol and the upcoming Pride Month story, and hosting fees and equipment upgrades slash repairs, and all that fun stuff. Patreon.com slash The Weird Tales Podcast. Thank you, Ineptus Astartes, Matthias Hansen, Mark Vincent, and Eric Braun for your support. All right, let's wrap up this weird-ass story and move on to something relatively normal. So saying, he left the advertisement office in a state of profound irritation and went to the commissary of police. He arrived just as this dignitary was reclining on his couch and saying to himself with a sigh of satisfaction, Yes, I shall make a nice little sum out of that. It might be expected, therefore, that the committee man's visit would be quite inopportune. This police commissary was a great patron of all the arts and industries, but what he liked above everything else was a check. It is a thing, he used to say, to which it is not easy to find an equivalent. It requires no food, it does not take up much room, it stays in one's pocket, and if it falls, it is not broken. The commissary accorded Kovalov a fairly frigid reception, saying that the afternoon was not the best time to come with a case, that nature required one to rest a little after eating, this showed the committee man that the commissary was acquainted with the aphorisms of the ancient sages, and that respectable people did not have their noses stolen. The last allusion was too direct. We must remember that Kovalov was a very sensitive man. He did not mind anything said against him as an individual, but he could not endure any reflection on his rank or social position. He even believed that in comedies, one might allow attacks on junior officers, but never on their seniors. The commissary's reception of him hurt his feelings so much that he raised his head proudly and said with dignity, After such insulting expressions on your part, I have nothing more to say and he left the place. He reached his house quite wearied out. It was already growing dark. After all his fruitless search, his room seemed to him melancholy and even ugly. In the vestibule, he saw his valet Ivan stretched on the leather couch and amusing himself by spitting at the ceiling, which he did very cleverly, hitting every time the same spot. His servant's equanimity enraged him. He struck him on the forehead with his hat and said, "'You good for nothing! You are always playing the fool!' Ivan rose quickly and hastened to take off his master's cloak. Once in his room, the major, tired and depressed, threw himself in an armchair and, after sighing a little, began to soliloquize. In heaven's name, why should such a misfortune befall me? If I had lost an arm or a leg, it would be less insupportable. But a man without a nose? Devil take it, what is he good for? He is only fit to be thrown out of the window. If it had been taken from me in war or in a duel or if I had lost it by my own fault but it has disappeared inexplicably. But no, it is impossible, he continued after reflecting a few moments. 
It is incredible that a nose can disappear like that. Quite incredible. I must be dreaming or suffering from some hallucination. Perhaps I swallowed by mistake instead of water the brandy with which I rub my chin after being shaved. That fool of an Yvonne must have forgotten to take it away, and I must have swallowed it. In order to find out whether he were really drunk, the Major pinched himself so hard that he involuntarily uttered a cry. The pain convinced him that he was quite wide awake. He walked slowly to the looking-glass, and at first closed his eyes, hoping to see his nose suddenly in its proper place, but on opening them, he started back. "'What a hideous sight!' he exclaimed. It was really incomprehensible. One might easily lose a button, a silver spoon, a watch, or something similar, but a loss like this, and in one's own dwelling. After considering all the circumstances, Major Kovalov felt inclined to suppose that the cause of all his trouble should be laid at the door of Madame Potocina, the colonel's wife, who wished him to marry her daughter. He himself paid her court readily, but always avoided coming to the point, and when the lady one day told him point-blank that she wished him to marry her daughter, he gently drew back, declaring that he was still too young, and that he had to serve five years more before he would be forty-two. This must be the reason why the lady, in revenge, had resolved to bring him into disgrace and had hired two sorceresses for that object. One thing was certain. His nose had not been cut off. No one had entered his room, and as for Ivan Yakovlevich, he had been shaved by him on Wednesday, and during that day and the whole of Thursday, his nose had been there, as he knew and well remembered. Moreover, if his nose had been cut off, he would naturally have felt pain, and doubtless the wound would not have healed so quickly, nor would the surface have been as flat as a pancake. All kinds of plans passed through his head. Should he bring a legal action against the wife of a superior officer, or should he go to her and charge her openly with her treachery? His reflections were interrupted by a sudden light which shone through all the chinks of the door, showing that Ivan had lit the wax candles in the vestibule. Soon Ivan himself came in with the lights. Kovalov quickly seized a handkerchief and covered the place where his nose had been the evening before so that his blockhead of a servant might not gape with his mouth wide open when he saw his master's extraordinary appearance. Scarcely had Ivan returned to the vestibule than a stranger's voice was heard there. "'Does Major Kovalov live here?' it asked. "'Come in,' said the Major, rising rapidly and opening the door. He saw a police official of pleasant appearance, with gray whiskers and fairly full cheeks. The same who, at the commencement of this story, was standing at the end of the Isaac Bridge. "'You have lost your nose?' he asked. "'Exactly so. It has just been found.' "'What do you say?' stammered Major Kovalov. Joy had suddenly paralyzed his tongue.' He stared at the police commissary on whose cheeks and full lips fell the flickering light of the candle. "'How was it?' he asked at last. "'By a very singular chance. It has been arrested just as it was getting into a carriage for Riga. Its passport had been made out some time ago in the name of an official, and what is still more strange, I myself took it at first for a gentleman. Fortunately, I had my glasses with me, and then I saw at once that it was a nose.' I am short-sighted, you know, and as you stand before me, I cannot distinguish your nose, your beard, or anything else. My mother-in-law can hardly see it all. Kovalov was beside himself with excitement. Where is it? Where? I will hasten there at once. Don't put yourself out. Knowing that you need it, I have brought it with me. 
Another singular thing is that the principal culprit in the matter is a scoundrel of a barber living in the Assumption Avenue who is now safely locked up. I had long suspected him of drunkenness and theft. Only the day before yesterday he stole some buttons in a shop. Your nose is quite uninjured. So saying, the police commissary put his hand in his pocket and brought out the nose wrapped up in paper. Yes, yes, this is it, exclaimed Kovalov. Will you not stay and drink a cup of tea with me? I should like to very much, but I cannot. I must go at once to the house of correction. The cost of living is very high nowadays. My mother-in-law lives with me, and there are several children. The eldest is very hopeful and intelligent, but I have no means for their education. After the commissary's departure, Kovalov remained for some time plunged in a kind of vague reverie and did not recover full consciousness for several moments, so great was the effect of this unexpected good news. He placed the recovered nose carefully in the palm of his hand and examined it again with the greatest attention. Yes, this is it, he said to himself. Here is the heat boil on the left side which came out yesterday. And he nearly laughed aloud with delight. But nothing is permanent in this world. Joy, in the second moment of its arrival, is already less keen than in the first, is still fainter in the third, and finishes by coalescing with our normal mental state, just as the circles which the fall of a pebble forms on the surface of water gradually die away. Kovalov began to meditate and saw that his difficulties were not yet over. His nose had been recovered, but it had to be joined on again in its proper place. And suppose it could not. As he put this question to himself, Kovalov grew pale. With a feeling of indescribable dread, he rushed towards his dressing table and stood before the mirror in order that he might not place his nose crookedly. His hands trembled. Very carefully, he placed it where it had been before. Horror! It did not remain there. He held it to his mouth and warmed it a little with his breath and then placed it there again, but it would not hold. Hold on, you stupid, he said. But the nose seemed to be made of wood and fell back on the table with a strange noise as though it had been a cork. The major's face began to twitch feverishly. Is it possible that it won't stick? he asked himself full of alarm, but however often he tried, all his efforts were in vain. He called Ivan and sent him to fetch the doctor who occupied the finest flat in the mansion. This doctor was a man of imposing appearance, who had magnificent black whiskers and a healthy wife. He ate fresh apples every morning and cleaned his teeth with extreme care, using five different toothbrushes for three quarters of an hour daily. The doctor came immediately. After having asked the major when this misfortune had happened, he raised his chin and gave him a fillip with his finger just where the nose had been, in such a way that the major suddenly threw back his head and struck the wall with it. The doctor said that that did not matter. Then, making him turn his face to the right, he felt the vacant place and said, Hmm. Then he made him turn it to the left and did the same. Finally, he again gave him a fillip with his finger so that the major started like a horse whose teeth are being examined. After this experiment, the doctor shook his head and said, No. It cannot be done. Rather, remain as you are, lest something worse happen. Certainly one could replace it at once, but I assure you the remedy would be worse than the disease. All very fine, but how am I to go on without a nose? answered Kovalov. There's nothing worse than that. How can I show myself with such a villainous appearance? I go into good society, and this evening I am invited to two parties— I know several ladies, Madame Chekterev, the wife of a state councillor, Madame Potachina, although after what she has done I don't want to have anything to do with her except through the agency of the police. 
I beg you, continued Kovalov in a supplicating tone, find some way or other of replacing it, even if it is not quite firm as long as it holds at all. I can keep it in place sometime with my hands whenever there is any risk. Besides, I do not even dance, so that is not likely to be injured by any sudden movement. As to your fee, be in no anxiety about that. I can well afford it. Believe me, answered the doctor in a voice which was neither too high nor too low, but soft and almost magnetic. I do not treat patients for love of gain. That would be contrary to my principles and to my art. It is true that I accept fees, but that is only not to hurt my patients' feelings by refusing them. I could certainly replace your nose, but I assure you, on my word of honor, it would only make matters worse. Rather, let nature do her own work. Wash the place often with cold water, and I assure you that even without a nose, you will be just as well as if you had one. As to the nose itself, I advise you to have it preserved in a bottle of spirits, or, still better, of warm vinegar mixed with two spoonfuls of brandy, and then you can sell it at a good price. I would be willing to take it myself, provided you do not ask too much. No, no, I shall not sell it at any price. I would rather it were lost again. Excuse me, said the doctor, taking his leave. I hope to be useful to you, but I can do nothing more. You are, at any rate, convinced of my goodwill. So saying, the doctor left the room with a dignified air. Kovalov did not even notice his departure. Absorbed in a profound reverie, he only saw the edge of his snow-white cuffs emerging from the sleeves of his black coat. The next day, he resolved, before bringing a formal action, to write to the colonel's wife and see whether she would not return to him without further dispute that of which she had deprived him. The letter ran as follows. To Madame Alexandra Pantocina. I hardly understand your method of action. Be sure that by adopting such a course you will gain nothing and will certainly not succeed in making me marry your daughter. Believe me, the story of my nose has become well known. It is you and no one else who have taken the principal part in it. Its unexpected separation from the place which it occurred, its flight and its appearance sometimes in the disguise of an official, sometimes in proper person, are nothing but the consequence of unholy spells employed by you or by persons who, like you, are addicted to such honorable pursuits. On my part, I wish to inform you that if the above-mentioned nose is not restored today to its proper place, I shall be obliged to have recourse to legal procedure. For the rest, with all respect, I have the honor to be your humble servant, Platon Kovalov. The reply was not long in coming, and was as follows. Major Platon Kovalov, your letter has profoundly astonished me. I must confess that I had not expected such unjust reproaches on your part. I assure you that the official of whom you speak has not been at my house, either disguised or in his proper person. It is true that Filip Ivanovich Potonchikov has paid visits at my house, and although he has actually asked for my daughter's hand and was a man of good breeding, respectable and intelligent, I never gave him any hope. Again, you say something about a nose. If you intend to imply by that I wish to snub you, i.e. to meet you with a refusal, I am very astonished, because, as you well know, I was quite of the opposite mind. If after this you wish to ask for my daughter's hand, I should be glad to gratify you, for such has also been the object of my most fervent desire, in the hope of the accomplishment of which I remain, yours most sincerely, Alexandra Podtocina. No, said Kovalov, after having reperused the letter, she is certainly not guilty. It is impossible. Such a letter could not be written by a criminal. The committee man was experienced in such matters, for he had been often officially deputed to conduct criminal investigations while in the Caucasus. But then how, and by what trick of fate, has the thing happened? 
he said to himself with a gesture of discouragement. The devil must be at the bottom of it. Meanwhile, the rumor of this extraordinary event had spread all over the city, and as is generally the case, not without numerous additions. At that period, there was a general disposition to believe in the miraculous. The public had recently been impressed by experiments in magnetism. The story of the floating chairs in Konio Chinaya Street was still quite recent, and there was nothing astonishing in hearing soon afterwards that Major Kovalov's nose was to be seen walking every day at three o'clock on the Nevsky Avenue. The crowd of curious spectators which gathered there daily was enormous. On one occasion, someone spread a report that the nose was in Junker's stores, and immediately the place was besieged by such a crowd that the police had to interfere and establish order. A certain speculator, with a grave whiskered face, who sold cakes at a theater door, had some strong wooden benches made which he placed before the window of the stores, and obligingly invited the public to stand on them and look in at the modest charge of 24 kopecks. A veteran colonel, leaving his house earlier than usual expressly for the purpose, had the greatest difficulty in elbowing his way through the crowd, but to his great indignation he saw nothing in the store window but an ordinary flannel waistcoat and a colored lithograph representing a young girl darning a stocking, while an elegant youth in a waistcoat with large lapels watched her from behind a tree. The picture had hung in the same place for more than ten years. The colonel went off, growling savagely to himself, how can the fools let themselves be excited by such idiotic stories? Then another rumor got abroad to the effect that the nose of Major Kovalov was in the habit of walking not on the Nevsky Avenue, but in the Taurus Gardens. Some students of the Academy of Surgery went there on purpose to see it. A high-born lady wrote to the keeper of the gardens asking him to show her children this rare phenomenon and to give them some suitable instruction on the occasion. All these incidents were eagerly collected by the town wits, who just then were very short of anecdotes adopted to amuse ladies. On the other hand, the minority of solid, sober people were very much displeased. One gentleman asserted with great indignation that he could not understand how, in our enlightened age, such absurdities could spread abroad, and he was astonished that the government did not direct their attention to the matter. This gentleman evidently belonged to the category of those people who wish the government to interfere in everything, even in their daily quarrels with their wives. But here... The course of events is again obscured by a veil. 3. Strange events happen in this world, events which are sometimes entirely improbable. The same nose which had masqueraded as a state councillor and caused so much sensation in the town was found one morning in its proper place, i.e., between the cheeks of Major Kovalov, as if nothing had happened. This occurred on the 7th of April. On awaking, the major looked by chance into a mirror and perceived a nose. He quickly put his hand to it, and it was there beyond a doubt. "'Oh!' exclaimed Kovalov. For sheer joy, he was on the point of performing a dance barefooted across his room, but the entrance of Ivan prevented him. He told him to bring water, and after washing himself, he looked again in the glass. The nose was there. Then he dried his face with a towel and looked again. Yes, there was no mistake about it. "'Look here, Ivan. It seems to me that I have a heat boil on my nose,' he said to his valet. And he thought to himself at the same time, "'Well, that'll be a nice business if Ivan says to me, "'No, sir, not only is there no boil, but your nose itself is not there.' But Ivan answered, "'Well, there's nothing, sir. I can see no boil on your nose.' "'Good, good!' exclaimed the major, and snapped his fingers with delight. At this moment the barber, Ivan Yakovlevich, put his head in at the door, but as timidly as a cat which has just been beaten for stealing lard. "'Tell me first, are your hands clean?' asked Kovalov when he saw him. "'Yes, sir,' 
You lie. I swear they are perfectly clean, sir. Very well, then. Come here. Kovalov seated himself. Yakovlevich tied a napkin under his chin and in the twinkling of an eye covered his beard and part of his cheeks with a copious, creamy lather. There it is, said the barber to himself as he glanced at the nose. Then he bent his head a little and examined it from one side. Yes, it actually is the nose. Really, when one thinks... He continued, pursuing his mental soliloquy and still looking at it. Then, quite gently, with infinite precaution, he raised two fingers in the air in order to take hold of it by the extremity, as he was accustomed to do. Now then, take care, Kovalov exclaimed. Ivan Yakovlevich let his arm fall and felt more embarrassed than he had ever done in his life. At last, he began to pass the razor very lightly over the major's chin, and although it was very difficult to shave him without using the olfactory organ as a point of support, he succeeded, however, by placing his wrinkled thumb against the major's lower jaw and cheek, thus overcoming all obstacles and bringing his task to a safe conclusion. When the barber had finished, Kovalov hastened to dress himself, took a droshky, and drove straight to the confectioner's. As he entered it, he ordered a cup of chocolate. He then stepped straight to the mirror. The nose was there. He returned joyfully and regarded with a satirical expression two officers who were in the shop, one of whom possessed a nose not much larger than a waistcoat button. After that, he went to the office of the department where he had applied for the post of vice-governor of a province or government bailiff. As he passed through the hall of reception, he cast a glance at the mirror. The nose was there. Then he went to pay a visit to another committee man, a very sarcastic personage to whom he was accustomed to say in answer to his raillery, Yes, I know you are the funniest fellow in St. Petersburg. On the way, he said to himself, if the major does not burst into laughter at the sight of me, that is a most certain sign that everything is in its accustomed place. But the major said nothing. Very good, thought Kovalov. As he returned, he met Madame Podtuchina with her daughter. He accosted them, and they responded very graciously. The conversation lasted a long time, during which he took more than one pinch of snuff, saying to himself, No, you haven't caught me yet, coquettes that you are. And as to the daughter, I shan't marry her at all. After that... The major resumed his walks on the Nevsky Avenue and his visits to the theater as if nothing had happened. His nose also remained in its place as if it had never quitted it. From that time, he was always to be seen smiling, in a good humor, and paying attentions to pretty girls. 4. Such was the occurrence which took place in the northern capital of our vast empire. On considering the account carefully, we see that there is a good deal which looks improbable about it. Not to speak of the strange disappearance of the nose and its appearance in different places under the disguise of a counselor of state, how was it that Kovalov did not understand that one cannot decently advertise for a lost nose? I do not mean to say that he would have had to pay too much for the advertisement. That is a mere trifle, and I am not one of those who attach too much importance to money. But to advertise in such a case is not proper nor befitting. Another difficulty is, how was the nose found in the baked loaf? And how did Ivan Yakovlevich himself... Nope. I don't understand it at all. But the most incomprehensible thing of all is how authors can choose such subjects for their stories. That really surpasses my understanding. In the first place, no advantage results from it for the country, and in the second place, no harm results either. All the same, when one reflects well, there really is something in the matter. Whatever may be said to the contrary, such cases do occur. Rarely, it is true, but now and then actually. 
And that is the end of the story. Thank you so much for listening. Please consider joining the Patreon, and please consider auditioning for the full cast reading of A Christmas Carol. Anyone is free to audition for any part they think they are fit for, regardless of race, ethnicity, gender identity, or sexual orientation. Ideally, I'd love to cast some new people who have never been heard before, so if you have no experience with voice acting but want to get your big break in the cultural zeitgeist, there is no better place to start than on my desperate attempt to stay relevant with a pathetic podcast. Please go and get vaccinated if you haven't, because seriously, what possible reason could you have for not doing so other than you're just a giant hemorrhoid? Get boosted, and please continue to wear a mask. Punch a racist in the face. If they're waving around a Confederate and or Nazi flag, punch them twice, and then kick them. Right in the shin. And always remember that the most important step a person can take is always the next one. Have a good week.